Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 349. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for all the love for the last few weeks with Corey Taylor and Action Bronson and all sorts of great people. But this week's guest is one that a lot of you all know I've been hoping to get on for a long time now. It's Maxine Peake. If you're a long-time listener of the podcast, you'll know that I was a big fan of Maxine before this conversation. Um, As an actor, um, her performances have been ones that I study and try and absorb as much as I can through the screen as an actor myself. So I was quite nervous to chat to her, and it couldn't have been lovelier. She was an absolute joy. I'm now as much of a fan of Maxine as a human as I am of Maxine as an artist. So it was a wonderful chat. If you enjoyed this one, check out her performance on Off The Beat and Track. Her performance, her appearance on Off The Beat and Track, where she gets to talk music for a good hour and a bit. Um, It's fantastic. If this is your first time tuning in, previous guests that you might enjoy, Kathy Burke, Vicky McClure, uh, Paddy Considine, Stephen Graham. I mean, half of the This Is England lot. (laughs) I could go on and on. With those guys, Florence Pugh, Neve Algar, Cosmo Jarvis, loads of really good people. Desiree Akavan actually comes up in conversation. And uh, yeah, it's a really good one. Um, obviously, you know what? Since the pandemic started, I've not really pushed my web store or merch at all, but I've noticed it. <laughs> so I'm just going to mention speechdevelopmentrecords.com where you can get all sorts of rainy cold weather merch that relates to me and my record label and my podcast um as well as music dvds all sorts of good stuff so head over there if you fancy it no pressure oh actually before we get into the podcast i should mention it's now been announced new tv show from sarah pascoe out of her mind which i happen to be in an episode of and it's one of my favorite scenes or few collection of scenes i've done it starts on BBC Two, October 20th at 10pm, and then it'll be on every Tuesday at 10pm. It'll be on iPlayer, all that kind of good stuff. It's me, or <laughs> I say me, I'm, I'm a small cog in the amazing wheel, but the script blew me away. It's such a good series, written by and starring Sarah Pascoe, directed by the Blaine Brothers, who did one of my films of the year a few y- y- years back, Nina Forever. Carrie Ad Lloyd, Juliet Stevenson, Aid Edmondson, just so many good people. So yeah, get out of her mind on your planner, set it to record or make a note. Um, yeah, right, let's get on with the podcast. This is episode 349 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Maxine Peake. We're rolling. Um, I'm here today with Maxine Peake. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm are good. You I'm good. How are you finding these strange l- lockdown times? It's waves, I think. Yeah. Waves of, it's all right. I quite enjoy it. This is good. Oh, no, this is not good. We're sort of locked up and everything that's 
the world in some way seems to be imploding in more ways than one. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I feel very fortunate. That's what's made me realise how lucky I am. You're, you know. you're, you're up north, right? I am. With, I'm in, uh, in Salford. In yeah. Salford. And there's been real kind of on again, off again stuff with lockdowns and re-lockdowns and loosening and all yeah. that kind of thing up there. So, yeah, how have you found that? It's... It's just well, it's so confusing that there's so much variation across the country and not the best guidance, I guess, to put no, it politely. <laughs> no guidance, really, has that? I mean, I think we've had ours... Yeah, I think ours has been lifted to today. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot of criticism because I think Bolton and Trafford, you know, the, the cases have shot up. I'm just out... I mean, I'm from Bolton, but I live in Salford. But yeah, I didn't even know, you know, I kept saying to people, are we out? Are we still in? I don't know. I mean, I've been pretty much, you know, not going out the house if I don't have to. I've I've found it easier to do that as well because it's so confusing as to who is and who isn't allowed out and where they're allowed out and what you're meant to do. So I kind of, after getting into the flow of that first month or two of actual lockdown, I just kind of went, right, well... Again, very blessed to be able to have a garden and yeah, a comfortable house and stuff like that. So I've just kind of gone, look, if other people are getting confused, I'll decrease the percentage of confusion by yeah. just staying home and being out of the mix as such. That's it. That seems to be what, you know, that's what we're doing. And, and it's that thing, I think, if I go in, I, I don't know the etiquette, <laughs> you know, going yeah. in a place. The, the anxiety of going, I'll just... I'll see if I can get it online or I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that. I'll wait till further down the line because I'm, you know, and it is about having consideration for, it's not just about yourself, but it's other people. And I think if I don't quite know what I'm doing, then yeah, stay in, stay in. That's, that's, that's <laughs> been ex- exactly my thought. Again, it's not for any fear for my own health. It's knowing that there's other people who are at risk. And if it's not that hard for me, like again, all the arguments over wearing a mask, I don't str- struggle with a mask. No. I don't find no. it that much of a an off-putting or uncomfortable thing. So no. it's easy to just do. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not a problem of, for me. So I'm kind of like, I, I don't see it as a big infringement on my rights or anything no. crazy like that. It's, it's a mask, and, all right. And you do it, I just think, obviously you're doing it for other people. It's out of, it's just courtesy. Yeah. Whatever you think about it, it's courtesy. Yeah. You just, none of us know. And I think... Yeah, just pop it on. It really does. I quite like it. Then, no, 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 you are. I agree. You know, stick it on. I mean, I don't care if you've got health, if you've got health issues, if it, whatever. And but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing with all that. I'm like, yeah, I can deal with that. I can do that. It doesn't feel like an infringement on my human rights. It's been amusing because I'm about to go to to Canada to do some some filming for a bit and I was asking some friends out there how has there been uproar over masks and that and they were like oh, we're Canada like we cover our faces for half the year anyway it's freezing up here They're like, <laughs> it's not a problem we're used to having scarves and again you think about that as we get into winter yeah well I love having a scarf on and stuff like that yeah. to cover yeah. my face again yeah. I've, I've got a beard so I, I live quite covered up as it is so <laughs> I guess it's I've been I've acclimatized to it easier um one of the things that lockdown, again, as you said, it feels like the world is exploding and imploding in so many ways. But yeah. it's so weird. Like, how have you found it over your career as c- celebrity has become more and more intertwined with art? Because acting is, yeah. is, 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 I always remember hearing and really empathising when Adam 
driver kind of opened up about not being comfortable watching his own performances and stuff like that or talking too much specifically about performances and people came out saying it's part of your job it's what you sign up for and it kind of sat down and went well no it's not his job is to go and do that bit on screen everything that came with that initially was a bonus if you'd get a, a a a big screen star coming and doing some some press or an appearance but now it seems to be thought of as so tied together and that's really odd yeah. to me yeah it's 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 an it should be an option if you want to do that side of it but your actual job is what you do on screen or on stage or or wherever yeah. else exactly and i always used to say i love acting but not being an actor yeah. i love doing it but i you find some people who like the whole thing of being an actor, the whole lot. But I, I think I just live in Salford with me and my partner and our little Bedlington Terrier, Castro, and we have a very boring life. Yeah. We buy, we cycle, we ride the dog. We what? Ride the dog, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not that boring, obviously, is it? <laughs> oh, God. We, you know, we walk the dog. It's all pretty yeah. low-key. I don't get invited anywhere. I don't really go anywhere. So... Yeah, and that word celebrity, I get my, my bristle at it. I go, I'm not a celebrity. I, I act and I just wanted to do what I wanted to do well. It was never about, I want to be famous. Yeah. But then obviously people say, well, you pick that profession, what do you expect? And there is a point that you do have to try and swallow what comes along with it, but it's navigating that. But nobody ever prepares you for that. And And I think if you did prepare yourself for that, you wouldn't go into it. No. You know, it's like when you hear about people who like friends who've been up for regulars in like, you know, new characters in soap operas and they've sat them down and said, you realise how much your life is going to change. You know, they they give them this sort of pep talk about, or they did, you know, what that entails and the, the pressure and responsibility of that. And nobody gives you that when you start acting because you're just finding your, your way through it. Yeah. You know, there's no drama school don't really go, if you are famous, this is... Well, and what is fame? I yeah. don't know. And people say, you famous. I go, I don't know what that... <laughs> I don't know what that means. My answer is always, <laughs> that it, it's a question that that answers itself. Yeah, exactly. If, if, you if someone is asking me if I'm famous, then no. No, I'm not. No one walks yeah. up to Tom Cruise and says, are you famous? They go, you're Tom Cruise. Holy shit. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? But you don't want to sound like you're mourning. I feel very blessed in what I... I do, and the career that I've got, and, you know, and I've made some very, you know, I've made some decisions that have set out a path for me, and I knew making these decisions and the things I've talked about will have an impact. Yeah. You know, but I decided that's what I I wanted to do. But I don't go standing on a soapbox going, you must believe what I say. You know, I'm asked, and like any other human being, I give my opinion, and I think I'm entitled to yeah. To, to that I sometimes think should I start it off and never mentioned it but it's so much part of who I am and you can take it or leave it if you don't agree with me then just don't listen to me don't read it turn off the telly you know that's, that's what fine. people struggle with massively these days is that yeah. you can disagree with people and you don't have to then be their mate but you also don't have to get angry about it no, you can go I, there's there's loads of people I'm not a fan of so I just don't yeah. keep up with them i stay away from from what they're saying if i see an article that's from them i go i don't want to read that because yeah. i'm setting myself up to get angry there because exactly what's i don't the like point? that person and even like with friendships i go crikey if i if my friends only consisted of people i agreed with politically i'd have yeah. a very small group of friends there is friendships that can trans I, so i think how do you get on in real life 
you know, well, they don't, do they? Because they don't say that in real life. It's only when they're on doing that. But I go, yeah. I've got friends who I don't agree with, but we either don't talk about it or we do have healthy discussions about it. But I like the fact you don't want to just surround yourself with people that have the same opinion and they've become friends for other reasons and then later down, further down the line we realise we don't agree on things but that's that's okay with that's okay with me and that's okay yeah. with them and it makes it interesting I completely agree do you do you feel moving back to Salford and that area that, that that you were from has has benefited your outlook on 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 the industry on all these things because I do feel when because particularly for a long time, acting and all of those entertainment was were so London centric that if you're in that bubble, you can't help but be absorbed by here's what you're meant to do, here's where you're meant to go, and all that kind of thing. And it it's when you get to step away that you get to look at it all in a more balanced manner. I guess have you yeah. found that? Yeah, and I think what happened. I never in a million years when I was only in London thought I would come back. Yeah. You know, I thought you have to be in London. And, you know, and I had friends who were based up here before I moved back would tell me that they felt that there was definitely sort of prejudice towards actors who lived up north because it was that thing, you can't be doing that well. Yeah. <laughs> if you live, yeah, in, right. you know, yeah. if you yeah. live up north, every, you know, you must. And, you know, and even Manchester-based theatres and, and, you know, TV productions and films would always go up north for the, you know, they'd be casting a drive up north to northern leads and very rarely but either they cast northern actors who live in london or london actors putting on a northern accent and then cast you know the authentic northerners <laughs> sort yeah. of in the scattering small parts <laughs> yeah. so there was i did i was really concerned but I, I i just woke up one morning and went i i want to go back i want i want a house mm. i want some space and i want some time and london i you know i love london don't get me wrong but for me it was all consuming yeah. And I felt I was getting whipped into something that wasn't... I needed to escape out of it. And like I say, I, I love acting, but I'm not really into that sort of acting lifestyle or whatever that lifestyle is. But I just wanted to separate myself a bit. Like you said, to look, have a, a perspective on it. And I wanted to do more writing. And I thought, if I'm in London, I'll never do that. I used to leave in the morning for a meeting, go for an audition at 11... <laughs> bump into somebody in Soho, have a coffee, bump into somebody on the way back to the train station, <laughs> go to the pub, and then you'd be like, oh, my God, it's midnight. And get and I was like, I can't live. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was fun, but... So I thought I need to get a bit more discipline and a bit more focus on what I want to do. And, yeah, I am out of it here. There are, I don't think we have a sort of a, an acting fraternity as like as in London, you know what I mean? Yeah. I suppose because we don't. Well, we do have some swanky members clubs and wherever actors hang out. I don't know, but <laughs> it's not. We don't seem to have a hub where actors meet, like Soho. Everyone bumps into each other, so either auditioning or voiceovers or yeah. So it, it yeah, it's nice. It feels healthy for me. It works for me. You know? Yeah, I love that. I I I I love London, but I find it weirdly exhausting. Yeah. So I completely understand how you couldn't. Get Get as much done. I, I, I've lived in the same small town in Essex my whole life, but I'm near enough to London yeah. to get in and out when needed. But literally every time I'll be in for meetings and do that similar bump into a few people, even if I've not bumped into people, on the train home, I'm exhausted. Like, no matter yeah. what time it is, I'm getting the train home, falling asleep. Like, yeah. why has that tired me out so much? It's just that yeah. overload, I guess. Yeah, it is a sensory old, overload, London, yeah. isn't it? it? When it's it's in full th- sort of throttle, it is quite... 
and it always takes me a while when I get off the train and get on the tube. I'm a bit like, you know, it, it, <laughs> yeah. you have to acclimatise like I did when I first came back up north. I remember my mum at the time going, why are you rushing everywhere? Yeah. I was like, because I'm on London time. You know, I've got to, <laughs> yeah. you've got to go at a pace, you know. But Manchester, actually, I do find Manchester now is getting more and more like, yeah, like London. It's getting busier and there's all this. I mean, I don't know if you've been watching that Manctopia. Um, I've not been watching it. Oh, it's brilliant. It, yeah. Well, it, yeah, and it's sort of exposing, they, they, they're calling it gentrification, but it's social cleansing yeah. nowadays that's happening in, in Manchester. But right. Manchester is just the investment. You know, there's, you, you turn your back and then there's a block of flats gone up. It feels a very different city, but then it's not a city for, I don't think, once you get to 40. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. We were, you know, you sort of go, well, mate, it's not aimed at, you know. That sort of city life is aimed at a younger demographic and it's sort of... But anyway... Um, it's weird, isn't it, though? Because what is aimed at that demographic seems to be changing and changing. I, before I moved into acting, I, I toured doing music for years and yeah. Manchester was always the place that had these amazing venues, but then gradually you wouldn't be returning to the same venue because they'd be getting closed down and closed yeah. down. And same in Liverpool... So suddenly Liverpool would be off of our touring schedule because all the venues yeah. at our level had gone because yeah. there was a couple in Manchester that took that. So it is weird how it seems to change what would be that the, that youth target or almost the heart of, of a town centre. The music venues yeah. and the live venues, particularly somewhere like Manchester, that was key for so yeah. long. And obviously yeah. the pandemic has affected that even more so, but it seems crazy that those kind of places that are so iconic for their music scenes, whether it be clubs or live venues, yeah. are losing them left, right and centre. Yeah, it's. I still don't understand why Manchester, well, you do understand, but you sort of got the hacienda that people still talk about that has gone into local legend and, you know, global legends, I suppose. Well, then it was a, an exclusive block of flats. I don't know what the setup yeah. is now because everything, you know, then the next luxury development is flung up and that's the place where but you go why did a city let that that place go well i yeah. mean we know why but yeah it's it's you know it's finance isn't it and it's money making but you sort of go wow so it just fit yeah all those small venues gorilla i mean i know gorilla which i love gorilla the gorilla yeah. venue and you know somebody's come in again but people are having to come in and save these you know newish venues but i i mean it used to be a theater it was um the green room yeah but yeah, I don't know what's happening because there's a lot of money. You, you know, there's a lot of money flying around. I don't, I don't know. It's 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 quite overwhelming at times. You think, what is happening? Where's the heart of these places? Yeah, going to what? Who is actually in charge? It's not the people spending the money. It's the people who who want you to spend the money, isn't it? Yeah, they're sort of basically leading people by the nose to what they want. And yeah. I think, was that fight? Was it? But people can't. The underground stuff now is so difficult to find venues to do anything. It gets pushed, pushed, and pushed further out. And yeah, you know, maybe I'm sounding old-fashioned, but that's what I miss. I look at Manchester and I go, it's gone. All yeah. those venues, all that history. You know, it's that it's still trading on all those yeah. bands. It still trades on that have long gone, but it's wiped out the footprint as well in a way. Yeah, it's yeah. really odd. It it really is. So, uh, I mean, we we spoke about London. When you were growing up, was acting always the goal and was London therefore the target? Because there wasn't a period where it 
felt for music, for all arts, you need to be yeah. t- making yeah. that pilgrimage to London to make it. And as you say, that's changing far more with media hubs in, in Manchester yeah. and all sorts of other places. But w- was acting always your goal, I guess, growing up? Was that your obsession? Uh, when I was probably about eight and I wanted to do stand-up. Amazing. <laughs> I wanted to be a stand-up. Because that's what I saw in, you know, it's what you you see and, you know, me. My dad, I mean, my dad, my dad buggered off when I was uh, when I was nine. But before he went, he was, you know, I remember watching a lot of comedy with him, and then going to the working men's clubs and seeing. Yeah. So for me, that was my feasible path to performance. Yeah. I thought, oh well, I can do that. I don't. They're not too. They don't seem too dissimilar f- for me. And I was always a bit hyperactive at school. Yeah. You know, that, <laughs> I hate that talk about the class class. You know, so I thought. And, and I think it's when somebody says, oh, you should be a comedian when you're younger. You just say anything. All right, I'll do that then. Um, and then realise sort of how difficult it was. That ra- those rare bits of positive affirmation as a kid yeah. just make you go, yeah, OK, I'll do that. <laughs> Someone's not telling me off. They're doing the opposite yeah. of telling me off. Yeah, I'll, I want more of that, please. Well, you think I might be good at something, somebody yeah. says, because you get, you know, I mean, I thought maybe it's different. It's slightly different now, but yeah, you never got. Any no. compliments <laughs> or anything like that. So I, that, I'd sort of set my heart on that. And then I sort of fumbled around for a bit. And I went to college when I was 16 in Salford. And it was a uh, Salford Tech then. And it was sort of all singing and all dancing. And I, as I always say, I didn't sing and I didn't dance. So I didn't have a particularly good <laughs> two years. And it was there that I went, okay, you know, I think acting's what, I want to do, even though they'd said to me, we don't think you're cut out for this. Maybe you should go and write. Maybe you should try and get your A-levels and go to university. But then I got to the point where people tell me, you know, then you go again, don't you? I thought, no, I'm going to go to drama school. So it took me three years to get in, but it was I wanted to go to London. I applied for Manchester Met, the theatre school, because it was in Manchester, and I thought I can get a grant and I can stay at home. Because London, I just thought, how will I ever, you know, single-parent family... You know, I thought, yeah. I'll never be able to afford to go to London. I mean, I think, I know I don't like it when people use, na- you know, sort of label naivety as a as a negative, but I was just a bit naive and went, I'm just going to apply for RADA. And it was my friend Diane Morgan. I mean, where's she now? Um, <laughs> and we both went, come on, they come to Manchester. They audition at the Royal Exchange. Let's, you know, it's only 275 return to Bolton on the train. On top of you, I think it was about 25 quid then to audition. Right. So I scraped that together and, and went and auditioned for RADA. And then well, I remember getting in and then I got I had to go and audition for a scholarship. Right. Because obviously I couldn't afford otherwise and Bolton said no. I mean, they said they give me £500 to my final year. And I said, well, I'll never get to my final year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I was like, thanks, but no thanks. No point. So I went down to London and I remember, I still remember sat, you know, on the South Bank and I had to go to the National Theatre and audition in front of Richard Eyre. And I, luckily I didn't know who Richard Eyre was then. I think yeah. if I had, I might have, he was running the National Theatre, might have had a meltdown. But it was that thing sat on the South Bank on that bench, probably think, you know, a bit with nail and I, you know, <laughs> looking yeah. out across the water going, I really, I've got to come here and I've got to do this. And then it seemed like a reality. And then luckily, you know, I'd gone through two rounds and, and it was down to the last four for this scholarship. And I got the scholarship. So I I couldn't believe it, you know. And then I got in and I got my fees and my maintenance paid for. Wow. 
Amazing. By the, da- by the Daily Mail, who spent then the rest of my career trying to stop me. Yeah. If, if they just want the money back. They just, I mean- yeah, they're, they're slightly annoyed. <laughs> how can you have these views? We paid for you to get here. Um, I mean, how, how was that then? Because in... I started off doing spoken word and I used to do open mics all over London. I'd get the, the train in every night and do as many as I could. I I'd drive in. And, and, and one of the places I used to, there was a good open mic on, was at RADA. And it was really good, but it felt so posh. And I always felt as if when I went up, they were letting the staff have a go um, and get up and do their little bit kind of thing. And it was <laughs> it was so weird and intimidating. It, it, it was great because then... As odd as it seemed, it felt like it. Similar to what you're saying, it made me more motivated to win them over and to impress them because I knew that when I went up and started speaking, they were like, "Who's this? Or what's going on?" Yeah. So, how was that? Did that motivate you more, or was it daunting, or what? Yeah, I think. I mean, I was so I was slightly disappointed because I thought I'd go there and it'd be sort of daughters and sons of Lord such a body and what's his face who's got you know. The Laird of, you know, wherever <laughs> St Andrews in Scotland. Yeah. And it was a really, you know, a really good mix of people from lots of different backgrounds because I think, especially at the time, right. RADA had a lot of individual funding. So there was Brilliant. lots of scholarships, there was lots of... So, you know, there was a big gang of us from from the North, uh, working, cl- you know, working-class actors who otherwise, you know, nowhere would have would yeah. have afforded to go. There was... Yeah, it, it, it was more class wise, it was more diverse than than I I expected. I thought I was gonna be the token northerner. Yeah. You know, I was bracing myself to sort of, you know, be not the laughing stock, but you know what I mean, a bit of a you know A novelty. A bit of novelty, that's yeah. the word. Yeah. But it you know, there was yeah, there was a big gang of us. You know, we then all hung together for quite a while for security. Yeah. You know, and people can say, say baby again, say baby. Oh, you are funny. <laughs> you know, and you go, oh, sure. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was, it was still, I think just, I was just intimidated talent-wise when I got there by right. everybody. Yeah, and a lot of people, you know, but then there was a, a about eight or nine people who'd already been to university, quite a big chunk of that had been to Oxford and Cambridge. Right. You know, so you did feel, I'd sit in classes sometimes and i go, I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'd, I, you know, I remember one teacher saying, Maxine, well, if that's the case, raise your hand every time there's a word said that you don't understand the meaning. And I got in trouble because she said I was being facetious because I kept, <laughs> was getting cramped. I was like, I don't, I don't. But, that was the first sort of two years. Once it became very practical in the third year and you're just up and running doing the plays, then it's a leveller. It takes that determination to push through that, right? Yeah. I remember after I had a few acting gigs, the reason I was getting gigs was because I had no training and that, and that was kind of appealing. Yeah. There was more of a, a naturalist. But I started to go to an amazing um, evening acting class in London um, and the first few times there I thought, I'm not coming back. Because even though it was that intermediate, or, or no, it was when I, I actually I got moved up. I did the intermediate, and they I wanted to do the intermediate again, and they wanted me to do the next one. And whilst I was flattered at that and excited, as soon as I started doing the next one, it was so clear, as you said, there were people who had all this shorthand I didn't have. Yeah, had yeah. all these references I didn't have. The actual practical part, I was excited to throw myself in and be. Yeah a white belt as such, learn. I'm happy to be the rubbish one and learn and get better. But it was exactly 
those moments where I'm sitting there and thinking, I'm I'm missing so much of this because there's references that it's assumed everyone understands and I don't have them because I didn't go to drama school or I didn't do these yeah. things. That And again, it, through no one's fault, it wasn't them being stuck up about it. It's just that it's so natural there. Yeah. So, so how was that to get through those first few well, years it, of kind of going, right, I'm not it sure. Was, yeah, the first year I remember every Friday sort of finding myself drifting towards Euston Station and thinking if I could afford it, I'd have gone home yeah. at the weekend. I mean, yeah. but there's no way I could have. But I think... I love um, that, that you were kept in RADA because of poverty rather than kept out of RADA. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. I couldn't afford to leave. That covered everything. <laughs> But I, I do think my main criticism, I felt that a lot, no, none of the teaching staff when I was at, present at Ryder reflected other than, you know, white, educated, middle class. So I didn't have that education. So when it's hard, I think, for people to relate to you. And yeah. sometimes they think you were being, again, facetious or awkward or just being stupid or going, I didn't have... I didn't call my teachers by their first name. I didn't get on with them. I didn't go to the pub. When yeah. I was at school, it was crowd control. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was playing the hair on the face yeah. for you all because we were a group of nearly 40 assholes most of the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It was. It wasn't, you know, I went to a big comp, you know, big comp that had a rough reputation. It doesn't anymore, I don't think. I mean, I, I think unfairly it always had, out of the schools in Bolton, it had a bad reputation. You know, I don't think it was any different from any other comp in, you know, in surrounding areas. But I just had, I had no knowledge. I had, you know, I had nothing I could relate to. And I don't felt they had anything they could relate to me. And especially being a working class woman, it was feisty, angry, chip on your shoulder. Yeah. At the time, my best friend was a guy from Liverpool. And now he was, you know, it, you know, and I used to, used to drive my mind because he used to go around in a donkey jacket and uh, a copy of Nabokov, in his, and he used to say to him, you've got a comic, you've got Beano stuck in the middle of that. Now, that was, <laughs> work, oh, he's, work, he's a working-class poet, he's deep, he's, but yeah. as, as a woman, you were just seen as sort of good time and a bit brassy, and you had to really battle against that. You know, and I think a lot of these drama schools now, they work it, they've had to, because I think the, the present students for everything that's going on in the world are reflecting, you know, what's happening with diversity, Black Lives Matter, have been amazing. And yeah. I'm on the council at RADA. And those students, honestly, they will break your heart with their passion and drive yeah. to go, it needs to change the systemic racism, the, you know, in all these establishments. They are going and rooting it out. And every establishment is only as good as the students, but it is the students. It's not the tutors. Yeah. The students make an establishment, and that's what I think has been forgotten in a lot of these places of learning for a long time. It's become very capitalised by the people who work there and not actually by the people who are passing through and are the lifeblood of that, that establishment. So I'm I'm so impressed, you know, and I know my great mate Sir Frankham has just taken over at Lambda, and I know the students there are just not having it anymore. Yeah, They're just like, right... We are the industry. We are, you know, the future. So we're having it back, thanks. And you just like, oh, wish we'd have been like that. We were I just a bit that. like, whatever you say, because we might get thrown out. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I might not get good casting in the third year. Or, uh, you know. But again, it's it's so evident because all of the big 
all of the actors that stand out and make waves are because they're so unique and they're not just we've we've been churned out here's here's the same thing so if it was the establishment rather than the students then you'd get the same people they've all been trained the same way and all the same thing the reason these establishments work is when they can harness that rawness of 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 a unique talent and 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 push that on highlight it rather than go that's not how you meant to to do it here's how we teach it here yeah you know and you know don't get me wrong i think there's lots of good you know there's some fabulous tutors you know especially at rada and you know i'm really excited about sir frank i'm taking over lambda and i think but it's just yeah it's we've changed it feels we've changed so quickly or we've Things are moving so fast at the moment, and we've got to we've got to keep up. And it's mm. frightening for people because people have had it good for a, a long time, or had, you know. And I just sort of go, "Wow, this is exciting! Things are, you know, taking it." But you know, young, the young generation going, "Okay, you know, not not all the, you know, I'm not saying everybody, yeah. but there are, you know, going. That's that's enough, thanks. You know, yeah. and I just hope they keep charging forward, and that we we have to get on board with them as well you know it's not oh well let them do it because it's about them you've got to because we've got sort of the history as well and the it's not just started it goes through waves doesn't it but it's about how do we continue each generation linking up and rolling it forward rather than every generation feeling they have to start from the beginning again and haul you know and move on for change instead of going how do we link on and keep it this smooth sort of clockwork machine rolling on that it's not stop start and it, it feels like people forget history gets thrown away the you know the history of the struggle people have to start digging it up again and you're going oh my god i didn't know about this person that person and they did this and they did that it should be a continuous line of education through yeah sorry i don't have to go on <laughs> no 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 i can i, I can pl- com- com- i completely agree one of the big pr- problems with so many movements starting from the youth and starting from students is that they all feel they're the ones that has to start start it yeah. rather than it being, as I said, a continued wave passed on, the momentum yeah. continuing rather than it having to feel every time. And again, as you highlighted, we're seeing it with Black Lives Matter now and all all movements, like the recent yeah. things in recent years of, of, of wanting to have more strong female characters and things like that. I was then, I, I was obviously 100% behind that. And then I started to think, oh, hang on. Uh, when I was growing up, we had Alien and Terminator and F- Fifth Element and stuff like this with these amazing, strong female characters. Yet we're having to do it all over again now. Why, why is this the case? Why didn't it just continue from there? Yeah. And And similarly with, I grew up loving boys in the hood and then i found menace to society and thought boys in the hood was soft and menace was the real one and stuff like that and there was all these powerful black voices being heard and then it stops and has to start all over again again it's such a weird thing that these things can't be but i think it's somewhere they are stopped you know what i mean it's like who is stopping you know it's like right that's it just feels like it's a bit that's enough of yeah that's enough of that and then, Completely. you know, and especially in the film, it isn't it? And oh, what becomes financially viable? Okay, but it's about going, you've got to get, it's about getting the purse strings off them, isn't it? It's about, yeah. it's amazing what, you know, the actors are doing now, but you go, what needs to be done? It's more people in producing powers, you know, in producing positions higher up, you know, more writers, more more people actually making the decisions who go, yeah. 
you know, who have experience of the stories that are being told. Yeah. Because sometimes stories get told and you go, oh, but it's slightly been basically whitewashed or it's been, it's who tells the stories. And I just think, let the people whose story it is tell them, please, yeah. please give them, don't just cast them in it, you know, the actors or whatever, let, let, let the, whatever it, the story of the community is about or whatever, you know, it's somebody's personal experience, give them more control. You know, it's, I couldn't agree it, it, more. Yeah. I, I bang on about it all the time, but how has there never been a series or film about the LA riots? And again, it's when I started to write more scripts myself that I was like, I want to write about that. But we're currently at a point where some of the best writers in the industry lived through that yeah. and, and, and had their own, saw their own people being dragged down and all sorts of things, things like that. It's like, it's not my story to tell, but I really want to watch that story being told. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I want to see that yeah. and, and hear it because, yeah, it's it's the perfect time to tell those stories because we're seeing it again. History is repeating yeah, itself. Yeah. So. Exactly, exactly. And there's so many, you just go, God, there's thousands of stories out there. And I sit, I'm always writing, what about this, what about that? And I, you know, I, I've got a little production company with my agent and we, you know, and how many times I pitched, because we want, me and my best mate, Carla Henry, really want to do something about Moss Side. And yeah. we wanted to do it for years about the rest, because Carla grew up in Moss Side, you know. Yeah. But it was, it's, you know, it's about that community that she loved and she's still, you know, it, I mean, it starts off in Hume, the bullring, which has now been levelled, which yeah. is, you know, was social cleansing. and yeah. um, But trying to get anybody... We've tried for years and then people go, oh, well, Steve McQueen's just done one on, you know, the Notting Hill. And you go, but it's a different... Oh, is that... Is it, we just one story then? Yeah. About about black history. Is that all we're... Is that all we're... Oh, come on. We you need, know, this is, this is still so narrow. Yeah, there's such a need for change in those outlooks. I, yeah. Again, I remember years ago, the BBC did National Poetry Month. And they had some really good shows and they approached me about a few and I wasn't into any of them, but I had my own idea that I developed and developed and I went back to them and they said, oh no, we've had Poetry Month. And I was like, all right, but here's this idea. And you wanted me to come to you with ideas. I just didn't want to churn something out just because the opportunity's there. I want to make something good. Here's my idea. Like, oh no, we've we've done it. It's like, oh, is, was that it? Was that? And again, it's exactly the same with all of these different yeah. things. As you say, someone's already spoken about that. It's like... Are you, are you familiar with love stories? Because they've been been covered yeah. once or twice yeah. in in cinema it's and TV. So they come back, but like yeah. they still work. There's new yeah. angles to it all. It doesn't have to be. We've discussed that. And I have a big beamy bonnet, and maybe it's not for me to say, but I go, can somebody write something about the black community up north? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's always seemed to be again London centric or down south. It's like. You know, and, and, and people still have this vision that, man, you know, we have had issues with race, yeah. riots and trouble. And I I know this, but we're, Manchester's a really diverse city and so is the North West yeah. for all its problems. You know what I mean? It isn't, and, and I think, please, I can't watch another Northern drama where it doesn't represent the North that I grew up in, that influenced me, that influenced Manchester culturally. If it wasn't... You know, for the huge black musical influence in Manchester, it wouldn't be the city it is, and it owes a lot yeah. to that community. And I'm like, please, can we make up? Not just one. You know what I mean? Can we start tell, and telling the story of Manchester 
as it as it is. No wonder that everyone thinks we're all white supremacists up here. You know yeah. what I mean? It sort of it breaks my heart because I watch stuff and I go, I don't. Where, where's the, this? Isn't the Manchester I know? And I yeah. mean, I live in Salford, so that's completely you know. And everyone lumps Salford in Manchester, and Salford's again a completely different. It's a city, and it's it's a very different flavour than Manchester. The, yeah. You know that that like that. Yeah. You know, but they're very different. But I just, I want to see it because I selfishly, I just, I, I want, I want to see reflected back at me what I experience and the people I know and love. And I always remember my friend Carla and we were watching uh, Lenny Henry's biop, and Lenny Henry was playing his dad in it. And Carla turned to me and she was like in her mid thirties then, and she said. That's the first time I've seen somebody like my dad on television because he was playing this very quiet, and Carla's dad Owen's very quiet, you know, yeah. sort of reserved. And I just like, and I, I started to cry because I went, you're 34, that's got the open the world to me that I went, you've never... Seen that, yeah. Oh, God, oh, God, what's wrong? This is all wrong. Yeah. You Completely. know? Completely. But it's only when you start having those, through somebody else's experience, they opened your eyes and you go, well, what have I been doing all this time? Yeah. What have I been doing? I've been blind. You, you are sort of blind to to what what goes on until you, you know. I remember Carla's little boy is my godson, and trying and and her husband's um, from Ghana, and trying to find Chad a birthday card that didn't have a white kid. A Again, white it's something kid, yeah. I'd never done before. I'd, I'd not thought, and you know, going, and then you start going, oh, it's only a tip of the iceberg. Where people live, and you don't realise till. I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, but no, just, I get you, but I, 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 I guess it is is I guess it's annoyingly gradual. The, what people don't realise is the film and TV industries can be the slowest. Yeah, in in, in the world to, to get projects going, to get stuff moving in general, it's incredibly slow. So I guess those changes yeah. are, are gradual. But I mean, how was it when you were coming out of of, of film school? Because again, the, the North hadn't been represented massively diversely again there was the kind of we've got brookside or, or we've got yeah. Corey or whatever but yeah. when you came out suddenly early doors shameless yeah. dinner like, like all these kind of things it felt like it was the perfect time and you got to be part of these things that were diverse storytelling of like not just here's a comedy like a real array of characters I guess so how yeah. was that to kind of j- j- jump into and be part of well, that's one worry I didn't have. I remember thinking, well, at least there's quite a lot of not, you know, there's, I don't know, there was always northern dramas knocking about. You know, yeah. I mean, when you said you wanted to act and people would always say to me, oh, you know, get in Corrie, you know, you yeah. want to get in Corrie, you want to get in Corrie. And it's not that I didn't want to, but it just felt that that was all anybody, you know, I have utmost respect for soap actors. I don't know if they do Completely. it. I really yeah. don't. It's, you know, and I've had quite a few friends who've, you know, been itched for short times or been for in you know long periods of time and it's real hard graft you know I, and I, I had I had Himesh Patel on recently and we were discussing the balance of the stress of being in a show like EastEnders and having to do all these episodes every week yeah. and then being in a huge Christopher Nolan film crushing a jumbo jet and it was like they're genuinely they're comparable because there's different elements of there's different kinds yeah. of stress. So but yeah. people are dismissive of of soaps at oh. times because they're just there. They're just oh, there. Yeah. And 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 I think it's not 
Yeah, and there's there's a bit of a snobbery, isn't there? I mean, yeah. cracky, there's a, so many soap actors that like them. I've done so well. They've gone yeah. out and, you know. But there was a bit of a time, wasn't there? There was like, well, if you do a soap, you, you get stuck in You're it, stuck. sort of yeah, snobbery. Yeah. But I think, you know, luckily a lot of those, you know, that seems to have been sort of the doors blown off that a bit, I feel, yeah, you know. I agree. People are making that step. But again, I think it's down to the individual coming out and working hard and going, okay, this is... Maybe what I want to is what I you want know. to do. Yeah, but I yeah. So I came out and like I say, so I I was very lucky straight into Dinner Ladies. I'd not left. I was still at drama school when I got Dinner Ladies, and then I, I didn't work then for about nine months after that. Right. Um, I think I did Then I did some theatre. Then I had about nine months out where I didn't, and because I I didn't want to play the same character <laughs> over and over again. Because yeah. after Twinkle, everything I got sent was the fat funny girl or the fat dopey girl or yeah. you know they don't and they're not they're not shy at putting fat whatever fat fat Karen fat yeah. you know yeah fat this fat that it's like wow so um yeah so I sort of thought right I'm gonna try and do some theatre and keep learning my craft and I just didn't want to play northerners for the rest of not this because I think in the business as well what they seem to do is you, they think northern is a personality trait yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're northern that is, well, that's the character. She's northern. We don't need to write anymore. Yeah. You know, it's like, hang on. We're all individuals up here. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong. There's certain things that, you know, northerners all have in common or any, you know what I mean? There's little cultural things. But I, I just used to really frustrate me that there they didn't seem to be much um, much character development other than yeah. northern. And especially yeah. if you're a woman, it was, you know good time girl sort of thing so and then and then dinner and then so I, I had a bit of time and then shameless came along but that was a well early doors came along and that I remember going in for that audition he created cash and I had I'd had a skinhead at the time because I just played Ophelia to Christopher Eccleston's Hamlet in Leeds oh wow and I just bust like because I like doing stuff for me because I think it makes look like I've thought of a character when really I just have a different haircut. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd, for the mad scene, I'd had a wig on in the first, and then it's so I went in with basically you know number two, yeah. And uh, Craig Cash went, oh yeah, I really like the read, but I really see with long hair. It says in the script she got long hair and, and, and roots, and I saw her with this bleak, and I said, oh, well, and I was like, George went, well, when do we start filming? It went six weeks. I went, oh, it'll don't be it, don't bad. <laughs> Six weeks, mate, grows dead fast. And he sort of laughed. And then he went, all right, you've got the job. And I thought, nah, nobody does that in a yeah. in an audition. Yeah, you don't yeah, get yeah. So I was like, oh, I came out and went, yeah. And then my agent will ring and say, he says that to everybody. Anyway, yeah. so it did come true. And, uh, and I loved that job. And then while we were doing that, they were filming Shameless. So my great mate, uh, Chrissy. Um, I hope she might say Chrissy Bottomley was brilliant she rung me up and went I've just read this script and there's a part in for it that's perfect for you and I said what is it should it's shameless and it's it's a character called Veronica try and get an audition for it and my agent rung and they said oh no we're not having the early doors cast because they'd already cast James McAvoy and they said we're not having you know all the early doors lot decamping to shameless so right. thanks but no thanks and I was like oh and I said oh thanks Chrissy she went oh don't no keep pushing honestly so eventually we were filming early doors and I just got a call from my agent saying, right, if you can get up to the casting director's office in Manchester in the next sort of half an hour, you've got an audition. And I was covered in fake tan because my character just got this job as tan- at Tantastic. And this <laughs> tiny little pencil skirt, this moth-eaten fur coat, dripping in gold, and they bleached my hair like blonde tips. And uh, 
and we had this fabulous driver called Wayne and I said Wayne you couldn't I said I've got like the next two scenes up you couldn't get me up to Hardwick Green and back in like half an hour and he went yeah get in so I'm not supposed to I'll be in trouble if we get found out so I went up and they remember walking to audition everyone looking at me because I just looked and they thought I'd come in the wrong room and then I auditioned for Veronica and then you know it all worked out I got a recall where they said you know if you don't want to do any topless ironing don't come back <laughs> you know they sort of told you there and then the yeah. nature of some of the scenes so they were yeah. very open with us about what was going to happen there was mention of Merkins at that point I just went yeah that was I'm so childish about stuff like that and they were and we will provide Merkins I was like whoa brilliant <laughs> I was like hang on a minute but you just got it's such a brilliant script whatever it, again naive and then when you have to do it I know luckily you know but you're like oh why did I ever sign up for this but um so yeah it was really there were some you know brilliant dinner ladies early doors shameless that those first three big tellies yeah. for me were the best writing yeah you know and I've always felt again looking then you know working with Peter Moffat and gone on you know I just feel I have been fortunate and and it just helped you only as good as you know if the writing's brilliant, they, most of the job's done for you. Completely, you know. I agree. I was, I was talking to someone, I don't think it was even on the podcast recently, about about when they have people in for chemistry reads and tests and things and things like that. And I'm of the belief that the chemistry's in the writing. Yeah. It's, of it's, it's, it if, 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 if the chemistry's in the script, then we don't need to worry too yeah. much. Cast the characters no. correctly, yeah. because then the chemistry will be there if you if you believe in the character and the script. Oh. But outside of that, it's like, well... It's weird. I've it's it's a bizarre it. scenario anyway, so it's not, you're not going to get too much. Well, I don't think I've ever done a job... You know, I've done jobs where literally on the day, the first day of filming, you're either doing a love scene with somebody and you've never met them before. Yeah. You just get... I, I've done one chemistry test once. It was me and David Morrison. We just spent a lot of the time kept putting our round in the meeting, going, "Yeah, like," and it was weird. And I thought, if I'd have seen us two, God, you two, what you? Because we didn't yeah. know what to do. It was like, what do you need? Just so we're like, "All right, mate, I am mate. Anyway, the job never came off. I don't, I don't, it never, I don't ever happened to the script. Yeah. But um, it was the weirdest, and it's the first time I met him, and we were like. You know, he said, because he was laughing, saying, should we be in white coats? What, we're doing chemistry yeah. tests? I said, I don't know, I've done one of these before, years ago. But it was the most awkward yeah. thing, because we just sat there going, well, what, what are we supposed to give you? Yeah. I don't know what we're supposed to... Or what to... you want from this. Yeah, well, yeah, well, it's weird. Speaking of great scripts, and again, it, it came to mind when you were talking about um, Northern being seen as a character trait, as, as more than yeah. that. I think another big problem with that in so many scripts is gay is seen as... That's the character. Oh, They're yeah, gay. Yeah. Um, one of my f- f- favourite series in recent years, I had, had Desiree Akavan on to praise her oh, about it, was The Bisexual. And I thought it was so amazing because it's called The Bisexual, yet genuinely the sexuality part of it was so... It's barely even secondary. It wasn't like, look, here we are being gay, doing gay yeah. stuff. Isn't this empowering? It was just amazing characters who happened yeah. to have have varied sexualities across across it so so how was that to work on because the cast was amazing with yeah. um Neve Algar as well and just oh, yeah just fantastic all I these it's, it was so good it's one that everyone I've seen every time I seem to to watch something that I'm loving I'll be like who where do I know them from oh it was the bisexual and things like that so how was that to work on and it it was fab and it was I think because 
Desiree led from the front, but in that way, it felt like a real collaboration. Obviously, yeah. she'd written it, directing it, it starred in it. But it was mainly an all-female crew, a majority a lesbian female yeah. crew, which just, again, it's like, yeah, let people in on their own stories. Yeah, this completely. Is, let people completely. in on what's being, you know, and it just... It's so Naomi, simple because yeah. the camera person even will shoot a scene differently yeah. dependent on their experiences of it and their 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 orientation in that kind yeah. of way. And just, you know, the first day, and just Pete, it was just calm, it was respectful, it was easy, there was nobody who was feeling embarrassed, you know, because the sex scene, it's not the sex scenes because they're with, you know, I've, I've done my first years, <laughs> you, know, you know, I've played many lesbians in my, my career, you know, which is, I've just, and again, I don't even think about it, I just think about the characters who play, and actually, to be honest, every character who plays a lesbian has just been the best characters, you know yeah. what I mean? But, We had Katie and Naomi, the producers, who were just brilliant and so involved in it, but in a way because they loved it, the passion for the show. So it just rubbed up on everybody. It was was such a lovely job, Naomi. Aki, Neve, you know, I mean, I was sat watching all these, like Neve and like Naomi, these young actresses coming up now who you just go, yeah, they're just storming it and they're, they're... they're going to be huge stars. And it's, I don't know, I think as you get older, you, it is, it feels like an honour to be part of that, to be part of something that you see the next generation coming up. You know, I always yeah. laugh and go, I've played the mum of some very famous youngsters. <laughs> but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, stick with me, kid. If I've played your mum, then you, <laughs> you know, but, you know, Maisie Williams, Joe Cole, yeah. uh, um, oh, Cracky Jack O'Connell, George Mackay, you know. I mean, yeah, I only I had little parts as the mums, but you do, you take a pride in going, look at them, they're, they're brilliant and they're doing it. And yeah, it was just a really lovely job. And Desiree, she's she's extraordinary. It just felt a pleasure because it was only as I just got a, an email from her saying, I'm casting this thing. And people s- said, I should cast you as Sadie. I don't, I don't know your work, but do you want to do a Skype? And we did a little Skype chat. And I just was like, yeah, as soon as she sort of went high, I went, yeah, got to do yeah. this, haven't I? You know what I mean? And I knew of, you know, I'd seen appropriate behaviour. And yeah, and I was like, yeah, I'm just, sometimes you go through the motions, go, yeah, no, I'll have a meeting to see whether we, you know, but really you're going, yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, let's it's just done. do it. Let's you just know what do I mean? it. You have to play the game a bit. Sometimes I was like, oh, I'll just do it. You don't need to convince me. Yeah. God, it'd, be, it'd be an honour. And yeah, so it was, yeah, it's a shame it's not going again and, but I like the fact that she's gone, okay, I did that. And you just know that amazing brain and talent and artist is going to bring something, you know, another game changer again. I don't think as many people saw it as should. And I, I don't know, it felt a bit underrated to me. I completely agree. Yeah. As said, I, I, I watched previews of it because of the, the podcast that we were lining up and was just blown away, told everyone I knew about it, was convinced it was going to be the biggest thing. And then it was it was wonderfully received but yeah it did feel like it flew under the radar a little bit yeah and it feels like one of them shows that potentially at some point it'll pop up on netflix and suddenly it'll be the best thing ever as 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 tends to happen these days in this kind of it's timing though isn't it sometimes it just feels there's a there's a flaw and something hits hits just whatever you know whatever's happening they sort of you know, the atmosphere that's going around or, you know, and then some things just sort of don't quite 
and then you find them later on and go, why was this never big at the time? What happened? Yeah. Just whatever. I don't know. It's all. I, I do think a lot of it is 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 timing and yeah. just what people are really wanting. Sometimes you can literally miss it by her breath. And yeah, you know. Well, so. s- speaking of scripts that you didn't need a lot of convincing to do, um, I do a films of the year list every year uh, and an episode of the podcast. And in in, in two thousand and seventeen, on that list was Funny Cow. And hearing of your childhood dream to be a stand-up comedian in the working men's clubs, this must have been a dream, right? Yeah. Yeah, because that film took us nine years to get made. Wow. That's mind-blowing. Because <laughs> I'd met Tony Pitts, the writer, when we were filming. We did the Red Riding trilogy. We were yeah. 1980 that they did for Channel 4. And Paddy was in that as well, yeah. wasn't he? And he so, was in yes, Funny Cow, yeah. Paddy was sort of the lead in it and our boss, and we were sort of his two sort of cop sidekicks, yeah. myself and Tony. And um, Tony had come up to me one day in the lunch break and said, he'd been talking to a producer in Manchester. He said, oh, you should write something for Maxine. And he said, oh, have you got any ideas? I said, and I'd always had this in my head about writing something about a woman in the world of stand-up. Yeah. And especially in the 70s and 80s and thinking, how did you deal with that? And what compromises did you have to make to, you know? So I, I, you know, I I told Tony, I said, look, you know, and I said, and... I'd read Marty Kane's book, A Coward's Chronicles, when I was... I'd had to do an exercise at drama school. We had to read something in first person. So I picked this up. I said, and it just fascinated me, and her life fascinated me. And he went, oh, my mum knew Marty Kane a bit. And Tony went, and I used to run comedy clubs, so I'll do that. And I thought, oh, yeah. And then about two weeks later, this... I remember he lived up in Hebden Bridge at the time, and he said, come up and see me. And we went out to walk the dogs, and we are in his... Fancy four by four. And uh, and then he said to me, when we walked the dogs, I got in the front, he went, there you are, read it. And I went, what? He said, read it. I said, I can't sit here and read it. When you can't, you do it. And Tony tells you to do it. So I read <laughs> it. And I just thought, this is brilliant. But it just didn't work out. Everyone was quite scared. Quite a few people were scared of it. Right. I think because of the nature of uh, material. I was going to ask you about it. that. Because yeah. to be true to the era... Yeah. Some of the material is quite uncomfortable yeah. to oh, watch, crikey. but it wouldn't yeah. have been at the time. She, she would. I've, I loved it as a choice because it was essential that the lead character, the, it was empowering that she was making a space for a female voice in such a male area, yet that female voice wasn't coming through and doing PC. Yeah. His, his, she was doing the material that was being done in the clubs in those days. So it was, yeah, I loved that. that it, it, it made it more real and more of a a conflicted hero because you're very much the hero of the piece you are watching and oh oh i wish you hadn't yeah. said that or made that yeah. joke so yeah yeah, yeah. and then I, the fact that you know she wasn't it wasn't about her likability was it yeah. it was no. about her survival it was about what did this woman do to survive yeah and i know and a lot of people said obviously the material could be rewrite that and we said well then no because then that just takes the whole what the stem of the film is about about what she had to do and the time and you know it was very precursor to where we are politically now the 70s seems to be where all this you know everything that's happening brexit everything that you know this is where it it felt it was you know it, it the acorn of it not saying it wasn't previous to that but this you know what rose out of 
of that um, and where England was at the time and the mess and, and the racism and misogynism and you know and we felt we felt we dealt with it didn't we we felt but now you look and you go yeah it's just we put lids on things don't we yeah. and then when people feel they can take that lid off because they feel they've been justified or somebody they felt somebody's given the okay you know yeah yeah so we didn't yeah we just felt untrue and and, and again false. i think you're right because the material is key because then it shows that the only thing that was excluding her was her gender yeah do you know what i mean yeah. if she was doing yeah. different kind of material then you could say well it's it exactly. was of the time it didn't really fit but as she was doing the same material as the guys, but better. Yeah. All that kind of thing. It made it clearer that it's like, no, it's purely well, you know, and that the lack of penis that is the yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah. And we know. did sort of talk about that. You know, there was one, you know, the, the, the script that we filmed was the original script, but we did go through a different version of it where she did sort of fall into that. We set it a bit later and Tony was working with another director at the time and it did move into the fact she became more that sort of 80s, you know, more, you know, the new, oh, cracky, what do you call it? You know, the Ben Out, the new wave yeah. comedy, you know, that was coming through. But again, we just felt it didn't, it's like you say, just, it was about being a female and that time and in the North and in those clubs. And, and then other people said, oh, it's brutal. And then people said, feedback was, oh, it's violent. And I thought she gets head-butted once, which... You know, and and I thought it's, but it's domestic abuse, which is, you know, it's it's rampant, and we know now what's happening in lockdown. It's yeah, it's on the rise. It's something that happens every day. Yet somebody can, you know, get a machine gun in an action film and blow out eighteen people in one shot, and that's all right. Yeah. But this, but this is saying something. This is about this woman how she's trapped and how this violence is used. You know, so we had some very odd conversations. Not odd, but. I was surprised how many people were frightened of it. And friends I told about it were like, oh, my God, it sounds amazing. But anybody with any money <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> didn't, didn't want to know. And, I, and as well, I think because it was me and I had a real fear at one point where I thought this might get taken away from me because I'm not high on the producer film list. And that's why, not why, I mean, we were so fortunate to get Paddy. Yeah. You know, we did have to twist his arm a bit. And he's right. brilliant in it. He's yeah, so, he is. Oh, God. I mean, I still makes me... The theatre, we did have some giggles. And he's just... Because I just think his characterisation is just on that line and it's beautiful. Um, you know, we sort of said, please, Paddy, because we need, we need a name. And ironically, we needed a male name to get yeah. the money for the film. Yeah, that's mad, isn't it? You know, but it, and he did. You know, and he didn't have to do it, but he did it. And he, you know, and we were so grateful to him. But, um, yeah, it was, yeah. I, and it's been, it's one of those that people still keep getting in touch with me about. You yeah. know what I mean? And it wasn't backed by, you know, none of, it was all individual funding and Kevin, the producer, Kevin Proctor, basically remortgaged his house. Yeah. And lots of, yeah, put himself through the mill really wow. to get it made. I'm so grateful to him for it. Well, no. it paid off because it was w- wonderful. There's, I mean, I've got a list. There's so many things I'd like to talk to you about, but we're, we're well over the hour mark now. So I'll start so. to wrap things up and not... Um, Can I just say as well, to- I, forgot, I forgot, the first time I ever saw you was, I can't remember what it was, before a screening of Billy Childish's Dead. Right, yes. I can't, yeah. I was trying to work out, was it at the set? 
Oh, I'm not sure where it was, but I remember ago. that. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Billy Childish was just someone that just used to blow. I remember the first time I saw him live. No, I'd seen him live in yeah. pubs, and then I saw him supporting Fugazi, and it was at this in this huge venue, and they basically shrunk the stage to be the, the, the size of a pub. They set all their mics up as if they basically had no room, and it was just amazing, yeah. Brilliant. No, it was yeah. brilliant. It was brilliant. So, yeah, yeah. it's great but fun. It really oh, stuck with back. me. It, oh, that, it was a long time. Yeah, I remember I'd gone to see I'd gone to see the film and then you got, and I was like, God, this guy's amazing. You know oh, I love I mean? that. So, well, I appreciate that. Um, well, before we r- 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 wrap up, speaking of things that, you know, probably a long time coming, how was it working on Mandy? As you said, you, oh. you, you grew up with <laughs> Diane Morgan and she's been just so, so amazing <laughs> in recent years. And then she gets given... I would imagine f- fairly free reign, like having watched yeah. it, um, yeah. fairly free reign to, <laughs> to go where she wants to go and you get to, to jump in and work with her. How was that? Oh, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And it was only sort of three days and I so wish it had been longer. And I've known Diane since I was 18. We met auditioning for Manchester Theatre School and I saw her did our audition piece. We were all in, you know, I had to sit in a big group and watch her do the piece. And, and she did this comedy piece and... I remember thinking then, she's a genius. She did it so subtly. And I'd seen so many other young women do it before and really gone to town on it. And Diane, and I sort of became obsessed. And then I remember following her around the canteen going, I think you're brilliant. And she's like, oh, right, okay. She thought it was a bit weird. Anyway, we exchanged (laughs) phone numbers and we sort of became pals. And I mean, hilarious bits about locution lessons together because we're desperate, you know, we used to make these posts and go, right, we'll put on a series of monologues in like a church hall and get people to come and see us. We, you know, when we said we were going to start writing together, we started writing this sitcom about a giant spider, don't ask, which I keep saying to her, <laughs> I know it's over 25 years ago, Diane, but I really think we should pick it up again. And she's like, not on you, Nelly, but I'm, I'm working on her. Um, <laughs> but it was, she's brilliant. And she's always, you know, she's a real comedy connoisseur, Diane. You know, yeah. I was a bit of a clubber and a bit of like a bit of this that. But you know, you go to Diane and she'd have pictures of Tony Hancock on a wall and Mon- Monty Python and Eric and Ernie. You know, and I, yeah, she just loves it and it's a real passion. And she was just—it was just brilliant. And we were both at that point where I suppose you know we're both in our forties now. Going, can we used to go and sit in a pub in Bolton, the old Three Crowns? We're obsessed with Neil and I. I think we must have been about nineteen. We must have watched it on loops. Asking for pints of cider with ice in the cider, but going, oh, we'll never make it. We'll just be these. We'll still be sat here in sort yeah. of twenty years. So, so I get this real sort of get quite emotional because, like, you know, I text her going, I can't believe it. Look, we're on telly together yeah. after sitting in that bloody pub in Bolton. You know, dreaming of just what we wanted to do, and then and and there she's done it and on her own, and she's brilliant and she's so yeah. funny and she's such a great. She's got such a great attitude, Diane. She's very sort of laid back. Things doesn't really phase her, you know. And we're both like, God, we've worked, we've worked, we've been doing this a long time now. And we've both got that, but yeah, we've got it now, sort of later in life. And but yeah, it's all right. I think there's a there's an acceptance now that I don't know what I'm trying to say, but we just it was so good after we've been through so much over the years. And there was times yeah. when we didn't see each other for a couple of years, and then we got back in touch and. You know, but just to see her now and, you know, I walk down the street with her now and nobody's interested in me. <laughs> you see people go, oh, my God, it's Diane Morgan, you know, and I, I get over it. But, you know, I'm just, really, <laughs> I'm just really proud of her. And I think she's just going to go from strength to strength, 
you know, and I, like I say, I'm going to hang on in there, you know, that maybe she'll, you know, put me in somewhere else again. But it was, yeah, when I got the call, I was like, yeah, of course I'll do it. I don't have to read it. When, when do you want me? I'm coming, you know. So. I love it. I love it. Well, I'll wrap things up and I just want to ask, Thanks. like, so what's ahead? Because one of the things I've found in these weird times, in lockdown and things like that, is it's made me realise what I need to do. Rather than what I want to do or have to do, it's made me focus on some scripts I've been working on and stuff like that. And it's that kind of, whereas previously, obviously, I'm still excited to be going up for roles and going up things like that. But the thing that has become such a focus has been writing and saying, I want to produce this, I want to make this, I want to make this happen. What's coming out of it for you? What are you coming out going, here's what needs to happen when this is a viable option? I think it's about even more so, and I've always sort of been on that path, but really doing work that really speaks to you. And it don't mean even that has to be political, just in the form of entertainment, but becoming, I suppose, more creative and how do you have a little bit more control over that? Yeah. Yeah, and, it, you know, I do love what I do, but I'm feeling more and more about branching out, you know. I've, I've done a little bit of directing, obviously I've done bits of writing, I'm doing some more writing at the moment. But yeah. getting excited, you know, maybe it is that, life could be behind the camera now and not not in front of it amazing yeah i don't know whether that's an age thing though i keep going oh i have anxiety sometimes and i go um, um this is no job for a grown adult i don't know i don't it's, know it's going to be an experience thing as well though the more you've worked with amazing people the more you're going to have learned to be able to do to look at, b- yeah. at both sides of the camera and i think going you know i, I and not having that desire to be sort of centre of the attention. Not that you are as yeah. an actor, but you get a lot of attention for yeah, being in course. front of the camera and actually going, I don't know whether maybe that's that's what I want anymore. Maybe I quite happily, you know, create, help be in the collaboration creative, but but not be... That doesn't... You know, the plays I've written, apart from the radio plays, the, the stage plays, I haven't been in. Yeah. And I've really enjoyed that. I was like, yeah. oh, and I'm like, look at these amazing actors. I've got so much respect for actors. And I'm like, they're all amazing. They can make those lines sound like they're actually quite well written. And if I read it, I couldn't do that. Because you know? <laughs> people say, why are you not in your plays? I said, I don't do bad writing. <laughs> I don't. I bad And then seeing these actors take something that you're cringing at, going, oh, I'm not sure about that. And then going, oh, they're geniuses. Wow. Look at them. And that gives me a lot of, yeah, I don't know. But then I'm sure my ego every now and again would probably creep. Maybe just get wheeled out every now and again and just bob up in something and then... I love but it. But I don't... I say this and then who knows? Who knows? But I do... It's given a lot of time for contemplation and, yeah. you know, what what is my purpose now and reason and why am I doing it? And and I think you make that decision. Is it just to pay the rent or is it... Well, the mortgage. I've moved yeah. up in the world. And uh, <laughs> I'm saying, you know... Yeah, and it's, it always has been... About being creative, but it's, it's, I think it's admitting that. I think for us to go, we are artists and it's all right to say that. Yeah. Sometimes I go, don't say that. I'm just an actor. I'm just an actor. I'm not, but and I feel I need more than, than that. Yeah. But I don't, who knows? Who knows? But, but yeah, there's a few sort of projects brewing that I'm, I am excited about. I think they'll take, you know, a while to come to fruition, but I'm like, that's okay. I've got a little bit of theatre coming up in. October, I'm going to do the Talking Heads thing I did for the BBC at the Bridge Theatre. Oh, fantastic. Which is, you know, it's great to just feel, oh, crack, I've, I've got a job. Good, yeah. good. In that way, you know, yeah. I'm going, okay. But, yeah, I think it's just, 
what is your input into the world and why? You know, big, big question and people could sell you big pretentious bugger. But if it is that you get more and more persecuted for having an opinion on things, then it's about doing it through your work, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's about, well, maybe it is about put it, channel it in. I completely agree. I, I, I talk about this with musicians all the time because when I used to do music, I'd get a lot of praise in the press because of writing political songs or songs about mental health or things like that. And my argument was it's so trendy to talk about all these things in interviews, but 10% of your audience will hear the interview. 100% of your audience will hear the song. So yeah. if you've got something to say, put it in the art that you're putting out there rather exactly. than here's a generic film, but then in, in an interview, I'm the most political person, I'm this, I'm yeah. that. It's like, well, yeah. that can be ignored. I think when we were talking about a, a, a telling stories of things like the LA riots, I think there's people underestimate how important art is to, to, to push and change in the places it needs to be pushed the most. There's a certain area of people who won't watch a documentary about the LA riots, as an example, yeah. but yeah, they will exactly. watch a film about it. Or they won't watch a lecture about the 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 the, the social in, inequality that led to this boiling pot that made it all explode. But they will watch a TV sh- show about that. So well, it's finding those ways yeah. of getting those important things to people who wouldn't be exposed to them exactly. otherwise. Exactly, and I think it is. You hit the nail that it's about exposure, isn't it? And yeah. I think that's the job of art. And that, and and I think you know, and I know people turn their nose, but that little box or big box that people have in the you know in the front room or wherever now, that is a really important tool about giving people exposure to other lives that they think they might understand. But once they see that actually, it's all about the human existence, and then they can connect because yeah. it's like a family is a family, a family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everyone we've all got in common. You know, we are human beings. So you start from there and that's how you get people then. It's just about it's just about understanding our exposure. And I think people get frightened, they don't understand and then they lash out. And I think the more you can just not not normal like, but the more you can just expose people to different to other people's stories and get them invested in it, then you're on the you know, we're on I think that can make a huge difference yeah you know i so. completely agree well thank you very much for your time thank it's been you. an absolute pleasure it's flown no, by thank you sorry i do yeah no <laughs> no it's, it's no no <laughs> it's perfect it's perfect um yeah i look forward Great. to all that is ahead brilliant excellent brilliant. well thank you very much Great. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, you could probably tell how excited I was to be ch- chatting with Maxine, right? Um, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it. As I said, if this is your first time tuning in, there's so many good people in the back catalogue that you can go in and get your teeth into. And so many people that, that we mentioned in that podcast. So, yeah, give that a look. Right, I'll be back next week. Next week's guest is bloody huge. In fact, I'm going to... No, I'm not going to tease it. I'm not going to give you a teaser. I'm just going to drop it next week. But it's a big one. Another big one. We're having a hell of a a 
2020 in spite of it all ladies and gentlemen and i hope you're having a hell of a 2020 in a good way in spite of all the the reasons not to i will see you next week ta-ta